How are you this morning, Carl Middleman? I am well. I did not have any problems, as a lot of people did, with getting in and out of places, but I'm glad it wasn't a nightmare for most people. I had the good fortune to reschedule a rescheduled dentist appointment, uh, thinking that it might be bad yesterday afternoon, because they had called to see if I wanted to reschedule, and I set it for yesterday afternoon, and then I called them uh, Wednesday and said, hey, you know, maybe we should just move that. <laughs> and they closed early. They got to close early because people like me didn't come in. So, so you made their day. I did. I was thinking ahead. We'll talk to our guest, Jim Batts from We Are Movie Geeks in just a second. Around minute five, we'll talk dog. Around minute 15, uncharted. Around minute 25, the worst person in the world. Around minute 35, the Texas Chainsaw series and Cuphead. Around minute 39, pursuit. Around minute 46, Lynn saw marry me. Around minute 51, Mean Girls is at the Fox. Around minute 58, I tell you my Bob Saget theory. And then at one hour, we will talk about our Bon Jovi Arts for Life raffle and then more free stuff. I could only imagine what the schools were like yesterday, trying to get the kids out and get home safe. In St. Clair County, where I used to live in Illinois, there were 28 accidents in three hours. And a lot of flooding. Yes. And then in St. Louis, they had the map and it was just full of accidents. Just, yes. yeah, not not whether it's that wintry mix that I hate so much. But I think spring is coming our way soon, I hope, maybe. We're going to be 50 on Sunday. I'm 51, so it's all right. <laughs> well, we have more to I talk like to about than the either. weather because in St. Louis, you can wait five minutes and it'll change. We have one of our own, one of our own tribe today for our guest. Welcome, Jim Batts. I'm, a, I'm part of the tribe. That's nice to hear. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, Jim is our illustrious uh, board member, as you are, Carl, and I, in the St. Louis Film Critics Association, and he does the wonderful caricatures that we send our winners. To caricatures? Is that how would you pronounce it, Jim? I, I, well, I say I should tell Lynn that I've been doing it for over uh, 33 years, and my mother still can't quite uh, pronounce it as well as you can, but uh, it's actually caricatures. So, that's it. well, good to know that. Yeah, yes, I've always yes. been doing it the wrong way. Is that how they say it in Illinois? <laughs> yeah, I just say my, my mother hasn't even close to that, so there you go. But yes, well, carpenters. <laughs> you can see Jim at Grant's Farm or at the zoo during the summer months. Now, in, he's also available to be hired out as well if you if you so want to do something like parties you know, and wedding know, receptions and oh yeah yeah well hopefully yeah. I'll be there before the summer there if it uh, if it starts to get about uh, over sixty degrees in the uh, in the next few weeks or so. Then during the weekend, they'll probably open up the stand at the zoo. And I'm not sure when Grant's Farm is going to start their season. I don't know if you've heard that, Carl. I know that uh, I have not been a member there. Now I have, I, I, but the zoo, the zoo's open today. So it is, it is. 
but, but you're I'm not, not you're not working. It. No, 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 no. And no one's gonna sit out someone to have you draw them with uh, as Spider Man uh, in twelve degree <laughs> weather. I know, I know. But uh, like I say, I, I understand that that north location is uh, being renovated right now, so it really? wouldn't be available for a couple of weeks anyway. But uh, like I say, once it gets past uh, sixty, maybe around you know sixty five or something. If it's Saturday or Sunday, there'll be probably be somebody there once they get everything together. So there you go. Well, so I just want to say I have seen no films because I watched Peacemaker and I was very happy with how it ended. It was it actually had movie tie ins at the end. And that's all I'm going to say. And the blues went into overtime. So I the movie I was going to watch, I did not get to watch. Which one would you like to start with, Lynn? Let's start with the one that I presume will be the big box office winner. Um, well, it could be a video game or it could be a dog. So I'm going to go with Channing Tatum, the eye candy. The directorial debut that. of Channing Tatum. Yes. Interesting, yes, because Jim and I were both at the screening together and we were discussing films and then I... Uh, Sadly, didn't get to see Uncharted this week because I just had too much work for that time that it was going to be there. It and it's too much in demand, Lynn, I tell you. Well, it, you know, got to pay that electric bill. So, nice yeah. So anyway, uh, the uh, big return of Channing Tatum, who took a break. He had a daughter with his ex-wife and Jenna Dewan and uh, their former dancers that were in Step Up together. Anyway, she is Lucy Lane right now in uh, Superman and Lois, by the way. Oh, on the CW. The CW, Uh yeah. She's got a big storyline going on right now, too. So, Well, Channing has done some, yeah, he's done some uh, voice work and he had a cameo in Free Guy. And uh, but this is his full fledged return to acting. It's in his lane. He plays a army ranger that has a brain injury, so he can't be deployed till he gets a clean bill of health. And we uh, have this poor little dog named Lulu that he actually named after his deceased beloved dog. Lulu is a Belgian Malinois. I looked it up how to say it. And it's really a shepherd, but it, the army uses it as a canine dog. And this Lulu has become sullen and hostile because of combat in the Mideast. And so both of them are damaged, the dog and the human. And guess what's going to happen? They're going to go on a road trip to another Army Ranger's funeral because that Army Ranger, Sergeant Riley Rodriguez, was Lulu's master. And he has killed himself. And so we have a lot of military drama, which... So it's a happy film. Yeah, you would not get this from the trailer. No, no. The trailer is a lie, <laughs> you know, it completely misrepresents the film. You're, you're right, Lynn. 
it, it's it, it acts like it's this wacky comedy that he's going to act like he's a, a a blind person and to get into this swanky hotel and and they're just going to have this high oh time running into escapades on this road trip i will say most all road trip movies have a killer soundtrack and this is a good one. This has got Chris Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson. Uh, it's got John Prine, Alabama Shakes. It's good music, Carl. Okay, but that doesn't mean the movie's any good. No, it's it's <laughs> very it it um it needs. I mean, it's good that it's hard hitting about the problems of the military uh, post combat people people that are damaged from combat in a different way not just losing physically losing something but i think that's a what noble point and actually his his producing partner reed carolyn who wrote the magic mike movies so they've been together for a long time they co-directed this but they also did a documentary uh, several years ago for hbo about these military dogs so they have this so they transform this documentary that they did with uh, the help of screenwriter brett rodriguez who does military he did stop loss and uh gi joe rise of cobra and dear john all channing tatum movies and channing even though he's taken off five years People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive in 2012 is still in fine shape. And he looks like he could be a ranger. The thing about Channing, he doesn't really go too much out of his lane, right? Like The Rock. So what, what you know what you're going to get. But to me, all dog movies are critic proof because people love dogs. And this one is set up to love that dog. So this movie was supposed to be released February of last year. Is there a reason it sat on the shelf for a year? Pandemic. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe it was just so they could make more of a deceptive uh, promotional campaign for it. You know? <laughs> Maybe they were debating on how to sell it. Because you're right, you know, that the trailer lies, the poster, the main poster that's been out for a few months certainly lies because it's something like... Uh, it's it's Channing and and Lulu, and it's it's a story of a, a filthy you know radical or uh, you know wild animal and a dog you know so it's like oh this is you know Channing is a wacky you know guy and you know this is going to be the adventures of him and uh, you say it's just it's not the case you know it it veers into some dark territory when you mention Lynn about him being out of not being out of his lane I think this is more of a dramatic role than we've seen Shadem do. He's, we've only really seen him do drama in a, in a couple of things. I remember there was that thriller that he did with a Sodenberg about uh, you know the, uh, the doctor and the psychiatrist and all that. And that was a little bit veering out of his lane too. And this is maybe closer to that because his character Briggs really wants to go back overseas with his brothers. And at the start of the film, He's, uh, as I call him, he's a sandwich artisan at, uh, at like a sort of a truck stop. And he's having to take abuse from the, uh, the guys there. And he's just waiting because the, the medical uh, group there, the, uh, the, the docs have given him the okay, but his captain is hesitant. 
and he's basically doing the road trip with the dog because the captain said, hey, if you do this, I'm going to fast track you to get back. But, you know, make sure everything goes well, you get there in time. And then the, 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 the caveat is you got to bring the dog back to the base because his service is done, if you know what I mean. He's, he's going to that army camp up north. Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> yes, yes, the Rainbow Bridge, as they say. And uh, yeah, like I say, he is he is still looking to looking movie star and fabulous. And in my review, I said uh, there's uh, one of the wackier scenes is uh, him stopping off in Portland to get some companionship at a bar, and uh, he's dealing with the sort of mystical new agey type of women at this bar, and he's. He's not doing well until he gets out in the parking lot. Then he stumbles into a couple of ladies there. But I was like, come on. You mean he couldn't, you know, close the deal looking like Channing Tatum, no matter what bar he's in? I wasn't believing that. And then later on, one of the weirdest sequences is uh, it is him uh, chasing down uh, Lulu, who's uh, gotten free in, in the woods. And all of a sudden, he's hit with a tranquilizer. And I'm like, what is is he in Pulp Fiction land all of a sudden? What's the deal? Because he wakes up strapped to a chair. <laughs> What's the deal with this? Okay, yeah, so, so it t takes weird turns, Carl. So two yes, yes. two two, my, two favorite uh, comedic uh, ones a comedian, ones a comedic actor. Ethan Suppley's in this movie, and so is Bill Burr. Who are they? Um, um, Ethan, I, Ethan. I, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Well, I was going to say, you, when you mentioned uh, uh, Ethan Suppley, I, I did look for him, and he's not listed in the IMDb page. He's not. The Wikipedia page. He's not. Yeah. He plays a fellow brother who was close to the sergeant that's killed himself, and he deals with a lot of trauma himself, but he is coaching he is coaching uh, Shannon on how to, our, his Briggs, Jackson Briggs. Uh, he is coaching him on how to deal with all the PTSD. And, and you can. And Bill Burr. Yeah. Star Wars, and, Star Wars own Bill Burr. Oh, Bill's so good in uh, Mandalorian, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. And, but he, and he was good in uh, the Pete Davidson movie last year, King of Staten King of, Island. Yes. Yeah, King of Staten Island. Yes, yes. Here, it's a really small part here. and It's a, it's a favor. <laughs> that's what I'm guessing. But, uh, but yeah, he's, you know, you don't know what kind of where his character's coming from in, uh, in Dog, you know, because he's, you don't know if he's really sympathetic and then it just kind of takes a turn. It's another odd scene and many odd scenes in this movie. I think the film lessens its impact because of all the weird turns it takes and that it doesn't hit hard enough. All the, you know, it tries, but I think that whole mix is just wrong. Although I applaud them for trying it and it's a shame how uh, military people are treated after uh, they might not be so useful anymore. And uh, that is an issue. If you talk to uh, people that have served in the last, what is it, 20 years or so? So their heart's in the right place. It's well-meaning. You're gonna love the dog because who doesn't love a dog? 
<laughs> well, you know, you know. well, it's you as you said, it's critic proof. Now, a movie that is not critic proof. Jim, tell us about Tom Holland. Speaking of Spider-Man that we talked about five minutes ago. Yes. Yes. Uncharted. Well, uh, I'm not as uh, versed on uh, computer games and video games as a lot of folks. So I was not aware when I first saw the trailers that this is based on a PlayStation game. And the PlayStation folks have a, uh, a big logo at the start of the film that highlights some of the characters from their uh, their different uh, platform games and all that. So this is all new to me. Uh, it's basically an adventure in the um, in the vein. Well, a lot of folks are comparing it to National Treasure, uh, but uh, I think it's probably you know Indiana Jones Jr. might be uh, a more apropos comparison. But uh, you have three generations. Out. You have three generations of action heroes here. That's true. That's true. And as I understand, this has been in development so long that uh, Mark Wahlberg admitted on, uh, I think it was on Good Morning America yesterday, that he aged out of the role. He was supposed to be in the Tom Holland role. And originally they were talking about guys like Robert De Niro and uh, Harrison Ford in his role as as uh, as Scully, Victor Sullivan. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's just a, a weird you know, mashup of different genres and they're intending it for the, the kid audience. I think one of our... Uh, one of our fellow critics afterwards uh, the other day said, oh, this is perfect for 10-year-olds. I wanted to say yes, except for the patricide and the throat slitting in it. So it's a little rough, that's for wow. sure. So you, but, have three, uh, you have three generations. You have Tom Holland for the kids. You have Mark Wahlberg for the Gen Xers. And then for the boomers, you have Antonio Banderas. Yeah, who's now uh, you know aging into the sinister mastermind uh, role there. I mentioned in my review, he's you know almost expected expect, expect to see him stroking a white cat, you know, telling about his scheme and what he's planning to do. And I realized that uh, this is very similar to his role just last year in the, uh, the see if I get this uh, the hitman's wife's bodyguard. Yes, oh, I got that right. Yes, which is, is this is a better film than that, but that's not saying a whole lot. No, no, but, it uh, isn't. So the. As far yes, as video games go for turn into movies, not they really haven't done so well, except for I guess Sonic would be the one that people point to. Sonic the Hedgehog, yeah, yeah. is it correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, if I recall, was Sonic the first big Hollywood release to come out of the sh the shutdown? That it was the first one yeah. to, to actually get into theaters and they kind of got theaters going again in a little ways. Yeah, not unlike well, what Spider-Man did really open things up, but uh, but yeah, I guess uh, I guess De Detective Pikachu did pretty well, and I guess that can be considered kind of a uh, video game also. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a hit and miss thing. But uh, as I said in my review, there's no CGI critters in this one, as as with uh, Sonic or in, in Pikachu, and it starts out with uh, Tom Holland in Jeopardy. And it wants to, you know, get things up and running like a like a Bond film or or an Indiana Jones film, and have something in Jeopardy happening right away. And then all of a sudden, it flashes back to when uh, Tom Holland's character Nate Drake is a kid, and he gets separated from his older brother Sam. Uh, they're both at an orphanage, and they snuck out to try to uh, to uh, to uh, get a little uh, souvenir from a, a local museum and. Uh, 
and since Sam is old enough, they're going to send him to juvie. And instead of, you know, going off with the authorities, he escapes and says, oh, I'll keep in contact. So he's sending Nate postcards, cryptic postcards from different locations around the world throughout the years. Even as uh, Nate ages up and the next time we see him, he's Tom Holland and he is a uh, Tom Cruise type bartender in uh, some swanky upscale, you know, club doing the, the bottle flips and all this, this stuff while he's saying, you know, you know, Magellan didn't make it all the way. He died on the route and all that. So he's throwing out these little nuggets while he's grabbing little diamond bracelets from what he, I think he calls them the, uh, the, the trust fund spoiled brat. So it's not like he's really doing, you know, evil crimes against folks. Is and he using doing, his, is he using his, sorry, is he using his real voice or is he American? He's American. Yeah. Oh, so come he's, on. He's, does, does he ever get a chance to use his real voice ever anymore? Well, I'm trying to think if he did that in uh, in that uh, the, the current war there. I know he, he did that in the, what, the Lost City of Z? Was that the name of it? Where, yes. Yeah. yeah. So he said, and, and the impossible there. wasn't in the impossible. Did I think he, they were from Australia, right? The family that got, got out of the tsunami alive. Yeah. Yeah, and now Naomi Watts was his mom in that, as I recall. Yes, and Ewan McGregor was his dad. So there you go. Yeah, that's but, when I uh, first noticed him. So the this movie was directed by Ruben Fleischer, but it was supposed to be directed by Travis Knight. And it's because they wanted to keep Tom Holland in this movie that they lost Travis Knight. And Ruben Fleischer, who did the Zombieland movies, he did Ganker Squad and, and, and Venom, which is kind of funny because Venom is kind of part of the Spider-Man universe, but not really. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was surprised, but when I, I did look up uh, Ruben and I didn't know that uh, this was from the same director of, of the Zombieland film because it's got none of that sarcastic kind of, uh, you know, uh, going out of the box type of vibe, you know, and, uh, you know, no, there's none of that snark in it. And this might, this movie could have needed, you know, could have used some of that, that's for sure. But, uh, but yeah, so, so Nate gets rec recruited by Victor Sullivan, who's kind of an older version of him. Uh, Victor had worked with uh, Nate's, uh, Nate's brother, and he's uh, on a, a mission right now, Sully is, it's called, to, uh, to find the lost treasure of Magellan. And he's got one gold uh, uh, jewel-encrusted cross that's part of sort of a key to unlock an area where they think the the the, uh, the the gold and all the doubloons and all that are, but he needs to get the other one. The other one's being auctioned off at this big high-end, you know, society function. And the guys have to sneak in there and they try to outbid the Antonio Banderas character who believes that his family's legacy is in the Magellan fortune. He has a hench woman in it uh, named Braddock who's had dust-ups with Sully before and uh, she's played by Tati Gabrielle, and she is slinky and very dangerous. And she's the one that likes to uh, do this quite a bit, and uh, you know, get the uh, get you know, put good use to her her ancient antique uh, knife. And so when they get the um, the crosses, they go to Barcelona. They meet another treasure hunter named Chloe, who's played by Sophia Ali, who has sort of a romance with Tom Holland's character. And all the while, they're either running or jumping. And Tom Holland is is almost as uh, as skilled at uh, at being you know, the parkour type stuff as as Peter Parker is. He's huh. bouncing off the walls and uh, with no damage really. At least uh, Spidey in the last film, 
those guys got beat up quite a bit. And I, yeah. uh, I, I, I was reminded of, well, of course, they name check Indiana Jones in this film and Jack Sparrow, which is a big mistake to remind audiences of better movies. And uh, I was reminded of when Indy is uh, taking off his shirt in the submarine in Raiders, and he's got cuts and bruises, and, and he has that line, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Later on, after falling out of a plane, Tom Holland is shirtless and not a scratch or, or a discoloration on that, uh, that body. Oops. So, yeah, yeah so well, the, the reviews, the reviews have been middling, but yes. they expected yeah. to take the box office. So, well, yeah, only because Spidey's been out for what over two months now, yeah. and, and they uh, want to see more and, of him. Yeah, they want to see more of him. Of course, I I noticed in the poster, he's the prominent guy in the poster. He's you know the you know got the biggest head of the floating heads in the poster, and that's the <laughs> style of posters these days. You know, yeah. he's bigger, bigger than Mark Wahlberg, who would have played Nate if they'd have done it 10 years ago. And they were even talking to David O. Russell about directing it like 10, 12 years ago, which just seems like an odd pairing for a film based on a, a kid's game. So, yeah, if you're looking for the, you know, the, all the stunt work and all that, you know, you might uh, enjoy it. But I just thought it was monotonous. I just didn't, you know, I was checking out uh, mentally after a while in it. And I was like, oh. You know, here's another, you know, green screen type of type of deal. And, you know, he's, yeah, everyone seems to have rubber bones that they can just, <laughs> you know, recover immediately from something, you know? Yeah. I mean, for goodness sakes, you see in the trailer, Holland's character gets hit by a car and he's fine as he's whirling around in the air. So I know it's, it's nothing I can, I can recommend. I don't know if the kids that are in the game are going to want to go out to see this or they'd rather spend those two hours playing more of the games or not so <laughs> well uh, spider-man was only nominated for one academy award but the worst person in the world i believe is nominated for more than that two it is nominated for best international feature and best original screenplay from director joaquin trier and screenwriter eskil vote and it's from norway and it is a woman who turns 30 and she said uh, that uh, she, she's trying to navigate life as all 30 year olds are and she's making career jumps and she's making jumps in her relationships. So we sent her on two relationships. The woman who plays Julie, Renata Rensfei. And uh, I went to look that up. And uh, she is a breakthrough actress. You will see more of her. She is great on screen, her terms of presence. And you go with her um, as all 30 somethings do. She makes some pretty boneheaded mistakes. And we certainly could look back and see what you know we did. So yeah, but the guys, are interesting characters. This Norwegian actor named Daniel, uh, Daniel, uh, what is it? I just, I had that written down and now it's lost on me. Yes, he plays Axel in the, Axel. the movie. Oh, and that's he, Anders Danielson Lie. Yes, yeah. 
he is in Bergman Island too. So I saw him in two movies this year, and I was like, Hoot. but he's been acting in Dane in uh, in Scandinavian films since he was eleven. So he's a big deal, and he plays this cartoonist who has a very famous comic strip that is, um, or he's a rebel. He's, he's, what would you say, like an American, he'd be more like a Doonesbury or, yeah. or he'd be more of a graphic novelist. What do you think? I think he's closer to an underground cartoonist. I kept on comparing his character Bobcat to Fritz the Cat. So I guess uh, the resemblance would be to uh, Robert Crumb. And by the way, if you've never seen the documentary about Crumb, highly recommend it. So, uh, so yeah, and there's some animated sequences with, uh, with the Bobcat character. One of the more interesting subplots, as I recall from Atlanta, is uh, when his character gets optioned out by Hollywood, or no, by their version of Hollywood, by the movie studios, and they want to turn Bobcat family friendly. Yeah, and that's hilarious. You remember that? <laughs> that, is, that is a great sequence. And I was like, did they ever read the character? Because... He is just as down and dirty as Fritz the Cat. So. Yes. Well, Julie, they have a, uh, they really have a decent relationship, except the focus is on him because he's famous. And so she gets tired of that. And she hooks up with this other guy who seems very sincere and sweet. And they fall madly in love and have a great time. And that is, his last name is Nordrum. Is it Herbert? Yes. And he he's good. But then she just is she's rather cruel to these guys. Well, she's the worst person in the world, isn't she? Yeah. Well, you know, they're being funny with that title. But I think she's so you never know where it's going. It takes some odd twists, but you're with her because you're you you want to see what's going to happen to her. She and so this is a unique type of female journey and uh it did very well in the festival circuit she won the best actress at the con film festival last year huh so it's now yeah. available in st louis because we have those staggered releases now now yeah. hold on i have i have two questions about it one um it's in norwegian correct or uh, yes. any english at all okay so that all right so that might be a turnoff for some people because some people don't like foreign films, which is dumb. And also, isn't this the third of a trilogy? Do you have need to see the other two in the Oslo trilogy? Do we? I wasn't aware of that. Like that the Oslo yeah. August 31st. That right? that's and and Renata played a character in that, but she's playing a different character in this. But yeah, Oslo August 31st is before this, and the first one was reprised from 2006 so this is his i mean a lot of these trilogy i mean you don't need to see uh the world's end or you don't need to see uh Shaun of the dead or hot Fu you don't need to see them to appreciate them but some trilogies you need to see all three like you're not going to see before midnight uh, by itself without understanding before sunset or before sunrise you're right you're right now i will say the um the cinematography is really nice in this movie, but I don't think you do. We had it in our neon package. Yes. And I don't think they referenced the other films, if I recall. Did they? 
No. Don't, uh, this, is, this is news to me too, Carl. I didn't know about uh, that there are other films. It's, it's part of a trilogy, you say, huh? Well, maybe he's just, maybe the, the, he just did three films based in Oslo and maybe that's what they're calling it. Maybe in Norway, it's something more than it would be to us over here in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but. so the, the Scandinavian movies tend to fascinate me. So I don't know why. <laughs> I think it yeah, was when, you. you know, we started, I started with the girl with the dragon tattoo and they were so dark because the, the, uh, the countries are beautiful. And well, then that's only if these... you read the book, you're only disappointed in the movies. If you read the books, because the books were so, uh, the, the books are weird because the second book, Lisbeth's really not in the, she's in the hospital through the entire second book. So it's weird because, you know, they're actually doing stuff over like if a character gets hurt, like we were talking before, Jim, if a character gets hurt, um, they they spend time in the hospital. Maybe it's the third book, but she's in the hospital because it's mostly about the magazine in the second and third one. It's mostly about him, the girl with the dragon tattoo. She's barely in the next two. It's she's mostly in the first book. Well, they're fascinating because they have this beautiful country and then they have these dark, sinister secrets and evil people. So that's interesting. But nobody's really evil, even though they call it the worst person in the world. It is, uh, you know, it's hard to pull off a a good romance these days, I think. And I think it's believable. What about you, Jim? Well, yeah, so you talk about being the worst person. She does crash a wedding and, you know, starts coming on to the uh to, to a married guy there so that's that's pretty bad and actually the worst person in the world in this film might be her her dad in it because yeah. he's just a terrible character that's completely undefend un, undependable and just you know just not you know, not even there and uh, did, i don't i i i really enjoyed the sequences there's a i think there's a couple of them which uh time freezes and she's able to sort of a, a do a, a do over and you know reconnect with someone run little run like yeah yeah a little bit but yeah restarting things a little bit that way but uh but yeah this is a this is a, a pretty good as far as the, you know, the foreign film category goes you well, know Jim, i don't know if it's me. um what about how close to life is the cartooning um I think there are, like I say, the whole selling out uh, to Hollywood thing is 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 pretty close to what happens to a lot of guys. But what's uh, really interesting is a scene uh, later on after uh, he and the Renata character have broken up. She sees him on a TV talk show, and the talk show is uh, sort of a discussion show hosted by uh, two women, and they pretty much put his feet to the fire and just rake him over the coals for the behavior of his bobcat character and uh he's just kind of, you know, kind of devastated from that he's kind of blindsided and he he did uh because he, he knows that the, the character is is a parody you know that he is embodying the worst in male behavior it's not like he's celebrating it or anything like that but that's what the interpretation is so in that aspect it's pretty close to uh what a lot of the underground cartoonists have gone through that's for certain well, Jim, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad it's true to life. Jim, I'm going to have to ask you, did you see Texas Chainsaw? I did not. I was not aware of it until we, you know, Lynn sent out the email about it. I have not seen any promotion on Netflix about it. I have been seeing the promotions for Cuphead, which dropped today on Netflix, which 
I'm very interested in, which I hope to watch a little of tonight. That game is very, very difficult. Okay, I'm going to talk about our buddy Max Foisy for a minute. Uh, This weekend, you can hear Max and I talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series for 40 minutes. And I, I, the last one that I saw was probably the third one. And that was also probably 30 years ago. So there are nine. There There are are nine nine. of them, but there are also three different timelines. So it's, it's kind of like what Halloween does every couple of years. They restart it and they make prequels and sequels that are just related to the first one. But the second timeline, the second timeline, the one with Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. Yes, that's the second one of three. And then there's there's a there's a reboot version that has nothing to do with the original timeline at all. It 40 minutes. You can go to the Max on Movies podcast and find all that out. But my daughter and I played Cuphead and I found the game maddening because it is very difficult. And then Max and his son, who at the time was like five or six, they beat the game, which made me very frustrated because if the if a five-year-old is doing much better than I was, because my daughter was having fun with it and I enjoyed playing it, but it was I wanted to beat the game. So the Cuphead and Mughead are show on Netflix. I'm looking forward to watching it because I don't have to play the game. And it's just so darn beautiful. Uh, well, yeah. I've seen, yeah, I've seen clips from the game and it's like a, a love letter to early 1930s animation, particularly yes. the Fleischer brothers. Absolutely. And, uh, the early, early Disney stuff. And I just love the, you know, these, these characters with the, the big eyes, the, with the rubberly, rubbery, you know, the, the rubber hose limbs, I guess they used to call them, just kind yep. of bouncing around and doing what uh, we called uh, it, uh, at uh, my college animation courses, uh, the, uh, the Fleischer bounce take. In that, in the early days of, uh, of animation and the early talkies, it wasn't enough just to show the character and have the soundtrack going, you had they have the character bouncing up and down the whole time. So as if you're getting your, your money's worth in the animation. Exaggerated animation to make it, to make the audience feel like there's something's actually happening. Yes. 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 So I'm looking forward to that. I was also saw the trailer for uh, something called cat burglar, but uh, I also saw that it's an interactive thirties and forties style animation game. So, or animation series. So you've got options you can click. And I tried doing that when the uh, the Kimmy Schmidt uh, show, the interactive uh, special came on and my Roku said, no, that we can't handle that. So I guess my Roku isn't, isn't um, you know, upgraded enough to do that. So that's kind of frustrating. Well, Lynn, Lynn saw something called Pursuit, which I didn't know anything about. Yes, well, well, I got from, the email well, about it, and it just didn't interest me. So, yeah. Well, I saw the uh, stars, so to speak, above the title: John Cusack and Emil Hirsch. Oh yeah, I saw an email about this, and I said I felt sorry for everyone involved. Yes, well, you should because it's a piece of uh, it's a heaping trash heap, and uh, uh, it gets even worse than you imagine. This looks like one of the student films that we judge for St. Louis Filmmakers Showcase. Like a first time filmmaker got his buddies together and they're playing dress up and uh, having 
you know, a shootout with guns, basically, you know, going pew, 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 but they do have uh, actual sound effects here that simulate, but this is really old school budgeting. Emil Hirsch plays a hacker who knows things. That is what one evil drug dealer says, that he knows many things. So this could have been written by chimps. It has three people credited to the screenplay, including the director, Brian Skiba, who's known for things like uh, Anatomy of Deception <laughs> and, uh, and Merry Xmas. He has Christmas movies and then he has, oh, Slaughter Creek. He has these <laughs> bee movies. He must be king of the bees because he apparently has a huge page on IMDb of his credits. So he gets work. Uh, the mastermind of this whole production is a former heartthrob from the 70s and 80s, Andrew Stevens. He yeah. was named star of tomorrow by the national association of theater owners back in i think late 70s he was in a movie called the boys in company the boys in company c is one of the vietnam movies when all those vietnam movies were coming out and he was on dallas he was in hollywood wives he was like a studly dude the the uh love boat era so to say also, Lynn, he was the star of a very popular syndicated miniseries. And I, I hope I can say this, The Bastard. Oh, that's yes. right. Those like The Rebel. He was in The Rebels and The Bastard. That's right. I aired last on a K, uh, KTRS. I said his mother was Connie Stevens, but it's Stella Stevens. Oh, and I was another gorgeous blonde from the 60s. Yes. Right. Well, now who started he, with Jerry Lewis? And he, he was married. He was married to Kate Jackson. Yeah. 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 They did it. They did a TV remake of Topper together. I remember that. So. Yeah. And, and uh, he is the the evil villain mastermind in this. You don't really ever know what's going on in this movie. John Cusack, whose name is above the title, is a small part, but apparently he's some uh, kingpin. And they said it in Arkansas. And then another of my favorites from the 70s and 80s, William Catt. The greatest American hero. Yes. And he He's took American. Carrie to the prom. And he also, he was also, uh, was it, uh, was it Perry Mason that he was yes, doing? Because his okay. mom yes, was Stella Street. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Williams and, and, and Barbara Hale. He's the, uh, he's the son of them. Yes. So he took over the, the Paul Drake type role in those Perry yes. Mason TV movies. Well, he plays an Arkansas state trooper that's sharper than he is. And I was just like, so he and Andrew, um, uh, he's aged better than Andrew. Uh, they all, you know, they both have white hair. And uh, they're after... Emil Hirsch, who it's just sad. He plays a guy that's got like post Malone tattoos on his face. 
and he's this hacker, but he's using old technology. So I don't even know what year this is because it looks like he's on a computer for war games. And then <laughs> uh, his wife is missing. His wife has been kidnapped and his son is played by Emil Hirsch's own son, Valor. And so grandpa, John Cusack is the grandpa taking care of the kid, but we don't know why he's after his own son. What is going on? There is a undercover detective from New York whose wife was killed by this drug cartel and uh, he's involved in pursuing, because it's called Pursuit, Emil Hirsch. This so, sounds like something Bruce Willis would do nowadays. Yeah, it is. It's like this. So Andrew Stevens has his whole producer element to him, and he's produced 180 movies. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So this is one of these. This this is just, it's not even bad enough to be funny and watch it. It takes itself so seriously. And the acting is on par with a student film and not to be smirched student films because I've seen some fine ones, but this is, I just have no idea how this got financing and was made because it is so awful. Now it is on everywhere. It's in select theaters. I was trying to find out if it had a St. Louis location and i couldn't find one but it is on digital and on demand if you are in the mood to watch a really bad movie and see people that used to have good careers well i was going to it, say uh, emil hirsch was in once upon a time in hollywood as jay sebring and he was he did a great job in it i'm just wondering if there's any sequence in this new film in which he he says uh this firewall is nothing i'm in <laughs> inscriptions i eat them for breakfast he stares at the screen in the first couples in the first scene which you know isn't good because you know what that looks like on screen when somebody's staring intently and quizzically at the at at a computer screen Oh, good job, you know. And then the shootouts are terrible. The special effects budget is non-existent in this movie. And the stunt double for, oh, man. It's just as low budget as, as I've seen in a very long time. And I don't think they shot anything in New York. No, I think they, they shot it in Little Rock. So, so I just I just couldn't even believe I was watching it. And I thought, Lynn, well, is, is it is it better or worse than Marry Me? It's better. I think of all the wait, movies, even that. Wait, wait, that what? Says, Pursuit? Pursuit oh, no, is better no, than Mar no, 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 Marry Me is better. Marry Me is better than Pursuit. I think okay. of all the terrible throwaway releases in this winter, even Blacklight is better than Pursuit. And I thought Blacklight hit a new low. Hmm. Yeah. So you, you finally watched Marry Me then? And I did. And it was Jim was like, oh, I don't know about you with thinking this. It's better than you think it is because I it don't has, think it's going to be any good. Well, it is, right, what it, is. it is what it is. It's, it's, because, it's a Hallmark movie. 
It's J-Lo being J-Lo back in her romantic comedy uh, lane. And people love her. Like the weddings, the wedding planner and made in Manhattan. And she has an audience. And because her love life has lived, been lived out loud, people watch her. Now she gets to sing and dance a lot because she plays the superstar singer and dancer. Yeah. And Maluma who I guess is hot with the kids. Uh, he is her intended fiance, but he cheats on her with her fiance. I mean, he cheats on her with her, her assistant. So she yeah. breaks up in this wacky stunt. She marries Owen Wilson, who just brought his daughter to the concert. So she would think he was cool. He, he knows he's a math teacher. He knows nothing about the pop world. He isn't on social media. They're two opposites. And you know what's going to happen because it's a romantic comedy. He kills him. <laughs> but I will say. They have to go over this. Go find this treasure. Sarah Silverman is a hoot as the oh. guidance counselor. Sarah Silverman is the guidance counselor. Jim does not agree with the, you. Sarah Silverman is the gay best friend in all rom-coms. Yeah, Right. <laughs> But she's right. not gay. But in the oh, movie, not she in real, is. but her character is. Oh, in the movie, she is. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Each one of them, and she's completely neutered. This is nothing like the Sarah Silverman we love. That's just you know a, a, a dirty mouth, you know, just snark, you know, machine. She's is it, playing is, a character. But Lynn, the kids is are it cute. better? Is it better than I want you back? No, I want you back is better. Okay. I also, want you back garbage. Is much better. Okay, I, but I st I'm not going to watch that one either. Now, when I posted my review on Facebook, uh, people that watched Marry Me on Peacock seemed to enjoy it. They were all saying they liked it because sometimes us women folk, we just like a silly romantic comedy during a very dreary winter. And who cares? You know, the kids, I will say the kid math nerds are fun. I enjoyed that. It, it has a lot of the uh, tropes that hook you in, but you know it's just ridiculous. You got to go in knowing it. So the, the thing that, One of the things that frustrated me the most about it was the last big feature film we saw Jennifer Lopez in was Hustlers, and she was great, fabulous in it, and this seems like she's taking three steps back. Because with Hustler, she was really pushing herself forward with an edgy character, and with this thing, it's just, it's just completely. Fantasy well, she didn't. Land, she didn't know? get it an Academy Award nomination, so she's going back to. I mean, she's going back to yeah. what she was doing when she was dating Ben Affleck the first time. Yeah, or at least this, at isn't Geely too. <laughs> yeah, no, but everybody should could should give a Jersey Girl a a pass because everybody thought it was going to be another G and it wasn't, it was very charming and it was Kevin Smith and it's a delightful uh, romantic comedy with George Carlin as Ben Affleck's dad and JLo's just in the first scene really. So Still he kills uh, her. Right. <laughs> so Jim, so, I, I want to tell you about the updated. I Lynn and I saw mean girls this week. And if you're a fan of the Mean Girls film, you should see it at the Fox because two things happen. 
One, they update it to because the first the film's from 2004. They've updated to today. So, of course, that means it'll be outdated again in 15 or 18 years like it is now. But they also made the character of Gretchen a much more likable character instead of just one of the plastics, which I appreciated. There's one thing I did not appreciate the film, though. The last five minutes of the film takes 25 minutes because, you know, everything that they like wrap up, everything happens, Katie, after the bus accident. There's a song for every single part of that. But other oh, than that, wow. I, re I really enjoyed it. And and there is a bus that comes on stage and does what it does at the end of Mean Girls. I was yeah. very uh, happy with how fun and uh, I'm going to use the girl word cute it was. It's very close to the film, although the film's, what, 97 minutes and the, the, the stage adaptation is two and a half long. hours. Yeah. Now, I will say the music, there is nothing that grabs your attention that you would be humming out of the theater or wanting to download. The music is by Tina Fey's husband, Jeff Richmond. But he, he did all the he does all the music for all of her projects. Right. Yes. And then the woman who did the lyrics is Nell Benjamin, and she wrote a little a movie adaptation to stage called Legally Blonde. So that seems to fit. I really liked Janice Ian, who is now named Janice Sarkeesian in this, not Janice Ian. Because, the the, because nobody knows, nobody knows who Janice Ian is anymore. Right. Just like just like they didn't have the Angie Dickinson joke in the prom, which it doesn't make sense. Uh, right. Right. And then uh, 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 the very flamboyantly gay Damien. Mr. Showfire, and he, they do a musical number with cafeteria trays for Where Do You Belong, meaning they're introducing her to all the different cliques and groups in the high school, which is fun. And I thought the whole cast was very good. We had two replacements opening night, and that was for Gretchen. The understudy played her. And then Kevin G., the leader of the Mathletes. He was good, understudy. too. Yeah, and so... I, I really in, enjoyed it. The uh, I'm going the, back. I'm going to see it again next week. The lines from the movie, people waited, anticipating these lines. And when they landed, they were so gleeful and laughing and so fun. Like when, when the girl... Uh, talks about the cake with the rainbows and sprinkles. And then the other girl talks about her period. <laughs> well, uh, and, and you can tell this gets millennials to the theater. So I like that because millennials, the movie came out in 2004. So this is like the, my, my daughter was upset that she saw the mean girls play before she saw the Heathers play. Cause she wanted to see all these teenage, uh, horrible women in sequence so we had to watch the heathers movie the other day so she can now see the heathers play the heathers musical heathers. is good i've seen it it's good okay. but that the millennials were out in full force i do still think there's some gen x's that like it but people were pink and I wore uh, pink. and uh although pink is for wednesdays we were 
pink. It's Wednesdays. We wear pink. So I'm actually going to see it on Wednesday. And I understand that the whole theater will be in pink. Yes. And uh, it's just it's just really fun. It was really great to be back after this. This uh, we had a winter break from the from the uh, November. What was it? Oh, well, we had the prom. We just had the prom. Yeah. But, and then we had uh, we, uh, before that was uh, Pretty Woman. Yes. So, but Mean Girls was on Broadway in 2018 and Taylor Lauderman, Muni fan favorite and former Muni kid from Bourbon, Missouri. That's another thing. Uh, Regina George is brunette. And I I mean, I don't care about that, but she was actually the girl that played the Amanda Seyfried role. She was fantastic. Yeah. The, the space, the dumb blonde. yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, and then the Amy Poehler part, the, all the parts that were played by SNL characters are still really funny. The math teacher that's played by Tina Fey and the, uh, the, the principal, principal played by Tim Meadows. Yeah. yeah, so those are still really fun. Tina Fey wrote the adaptation. So it's funny, um, but a lot of, if you just get the soundtrack, you're not going to get a lot of the lines from the film because most of those are done in you know, uh, in the dialogue that are not in the songs. Well, you know, the famous line, you go Glenn Coco. Well, the the guy that played Glenn Coco in the movie didn't even get a credit. You go Glenn Coco. Well, yeah, because because he got three of three candy canes. (laughs) Four. Four It's funny. funny. You're talking about Tina Fey. I remember when when the Mean Girls premiered on Broadway and and Tina said, "Yeah, yeah, this is gonna gonna you know do well for me financially here, but the money's not gonna really kick in till it goes to high schools. That's right. when the big musical money kicks in." <laughs> yes, yeah, well, and, I think it's gonna be popular, don't you well, think, Carl? I think it's going. I think it's gonna do well. And yes, once they once they have high schools doing this, I mean, they have High School Musical in high schools now. So I think, I mean, they do spam a lot in high schools. I think once Mean Girls becomes like a high school thing, it will be girls' schools will be great at this. Yes. Well, I do like the message about being your authentic self. I think that's important. And this was pretty emphasis on STEM. Uh, yeah. more so than the movie i think but also uh because there that it does talk about the toxicity of social media which and know, they and they good. change yeah because they don't have a cd player playing the rocking around the christmas tree it's rocking around first of all it's rocking around the christmas pole and it, they don't have the cd player skipping they make it a whole social media thing which actually makes much more sense nowadays um, but we're, we're running out of time, Lynn. I want to say that uh, according to Newsweek today, the story came out, Bob Saget was probably murdered. This because, is getting bizarre, more bizarre with every leak, as you said, Carl. Uh, Newsweek said they, they got a copy of the autopsy report and they s- said that he was hit seven times in the head with something like a baseball bat. So he was probably killed. And I don't know why the family doesn't want any more things to come out because you'd think if once you got that, you'd want to find out who killed your husband or father. 
But I also think that they don't want pictures out, which is how I took that original order, that original court order. But if it's a murder case, it needs to be investigated because the, the person that, that uh, I don't know where my one of my friends, she sent me this article, said that he was his skull fractures were too, like it would be comparable to a fall, like from 20 feet. Yes. It but, wasn't and, and like also, just a slip. And you also wouldn't go to bed after something like that happened to you, which is what the original part, he hit his head and he fell asleep. No, he would have been either knocked out and they said they found him in his bed and nothing is adding up. Well, they originally said there was no sign of foul play, uh, no drugs or alcohol, no, uh, no forced entry, blah, blah, blah. But that is all if, if the autopsy has it, the orbital area all broken. Yes, right. So that doesn't that's not easy to break. No. You know, so that's very bizarre. But I do have to mention our raffle, Carl, because. Yes, Pop we Life need to mention STL. that dot com we have partnered with arts for life for because that's the community theater awards recognition branch in st louis of all the local theater groups and uh, we um, every year we recognize outstanding excellence in musicals and in dramas and comedies so we have partnered with uh, arts for life and uh, we are going to have a drawing for Bon Jovi tickets. We have two sets of two each. So there's four tickets, but they're two separate. So, so we are going to have Arts for Life people on March 18th. We're going to draw two sets of winners for the tickets that are at Enterprise Center on April 21st. So you wanna see some rock legends? that are in the Hall of Fame. You want to see uh, Bon Jovi sing Living on a Prayer? Go to artsforlife.org. And the tickets are only $5 each. I have my tickets. And uh, if, I win, if I would win, I would give the tickets to somebody else. Nice. But, but this way, this helps because theater took a big hit in our community last year, as you know. And uh, so, yeah, just just kind of a fun thing to help the groups out. And we appreciate Live Nation and we appreciate our friends at uh, Enterprise and Stiefel for helping us arrange that. Uh, what else is going on, Carl, before we before say we goodbye. wrap up? Uh, um, in, I, go ahead. I was just want to say that I am excited for the fact that John Williams is going to come back to Star Wars and write one song for the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, television series on Disney+. Plus. He did one song for the Solo movie. He did one song for Galaxy's Edge opening up. He didn't do anything for Mandalorian, but he's going to do one more song for Star Wars for the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie or series. So I'm happy. And I do like the fact that he's. they come to him and they say, we don't need you to write the whole score. We just need you to write one song. And he gives them a five to 10 minute song. And they, of course, cut it up and use it for the whole damn show. So that's that's for 90. He turned 90. Yes. Isn't that just awesome? Well, three female hosts were announced for the Oscars this week. Amy Schumer, 
Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes. And I'm happy with that. I think that'll be great. They, I think they could have chosen any of any one of those three and it would have been fine. I don't know why you need one host each hour. Well, I think they're just trying to shake it up a little bit. Well, they don't. Nobody wanted to do it. Yeah, well, I, except that, I don't think I don't think approached Tom Holland because the dream team would have been Tom and, and Zendaya. And, Zendaya, and yeah. then the ratings would have gone through the roof. Well, I would have liked to have seen Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez. Well, they asked they asked Steve Martin and he said no. So yeah, well, that's also a thing, too, because he's done it before. Uh, we have to remember Ivan Reitman. Some of my favorite, Animal House. One of my some of my favorite comedies. Well, we have he, Stripes. He wrote or directed or produced. Yeah. So what a titan of well, comedy. Unfortunately, he, he was still alive to see what Jason did to Afterlife. But I think he was a producer. He, but it, it doesn't matter. I still maintain that that movie had nothing to do with Ghostbusters. It was a script called The Dirt Farmer, and they shoehorned Ghostbusters right into it. Okay, well, everybody likes free things, so I wanted to alert everybody to the Queen of Basketball, which is going to be on the NBA channel on Saturday. It's a short. It's the Oscar nominated it's really great about this lucy uh the first woman drafted by the nba who knows that it's her story and it's uh, yeah, I, I watched it this morning lynn it was it's charming yes yeah it's really good and so the nba is going to show it during their all-star weekend on saturday uh it's at 12 30 and then on monday night uh, i forgot the time on monday but check your local listings it's on the nba channel NBA if, you TV. Have, if you have that and we have um the the uh if you have netflix a very timely documentary won the oscar for best documentary icarus it is about russian doping huh how topical yes I've been telling everybody they need to see that because then you might understand how the Russians operate because they keep getting caught and they keep getting away with all this stuff. So that's my little editorial comment there. What was your favorite ad from the Super Bowl? I, I didn't watch any of those. I, I, the ones I had, I'd seen most of them before the game. So uh, it, I can't tell you because I watched all the extended cuts of all of them because they release. They released the ads before the game now because they want people to see them because not a lot of people necessarily are watching the ads. And I watched like I watched the extended Larry David cut uh, and a lot of the extended cuts are better. And the Andre 3000 and the aforementioned Zendaya, I watched the extended cut of that. So I don't know if what I saw is in if I give you an answer, it's not going to be accurate because it's not necessarily what I saw during the game. It is a Super Bowl commercial, but not the version that you guys saw. I was surprised and delighted to see Jim Carrey as the cable guy. Of <laughs> all of his funny. films to return to, this amazed me because at the time when that came out, if you remember, Lynn, and if you're old enough, Carl, but... Oh, I was <laughs> there. I was there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the big scandal was that he was being paid so much money, and this film was considered a box office bomb, and it's one of those movies... That was with every year, 
it it looks better and better and you know like they kind of knew what they were doing you know well and the, then to see it see the, him return the, to it it's just amazing the preview for the cable guy was at the old kenrick cinema and they they missed a reel they they showed like reel one and then reel three and then reel two someone realized that they screwed up so the first time i saw the cable guy it would it sucked because they showed it out of order and we didn't realize that until after the screening i'm like this movie's awful so the first time i saw the cable guy it was ruined for me oh my Th goodness thanks to some teenager who didn't know how to put the reels in order now of course they're all electronic and it it nothing like that would ever happen well my three favorite were the Michelob uh, ultra commercial with uh, with the in the bowling alley with Steve Buscemi spraying the shoes Peyton Manning Selena Williams and other famous athletes i enjoyed that very much i liked the paul rudd seth rogan lays chips commercial that that was fun but the scarlett johansson colin jost Alexa. i saw i saw the extended cut of that too which i thought was much better than the regular cut hilarious but many many ads were silly they were high concept they were a lot of money especially those electric car commercials and then that they united the Soprano kids, which I yes. thought they were dead. Tony, Tony Soprano would hated that. Oh, and but David Chase did that. David Chase did that. I'm not saying that James Gandolfini would have hated it. I'm saying the character of Tony Soprano would be very upset if Meadow and AJ were driving an electric car. Yeah, because he drove a, che a Chevy truck. Well, see, uh, but, but also, also David Chase told basically tells you if those if that's meadow and aj that means that tony soprano is alive because one of them would have been murdered also in the in the cafe well i've read these yeah. anal analyses of it and they think that uh tony died but the rest of them survived no because aj was sitting right next to him if that guy just and meadow was walking in the door i read those analyses too and so it it, it doesn't matter. The show ended yeah, like it, it got did. It got people talking. And I will say in St. Louis, we had higher ratings for the Super Bowl this last Sunday than L.A. did. Think about that. Because no one cares in L.A. Yeah, they don't care. Did you see how many people came out for their parade? Not yeah. a lot. Frank Cusimano on Channel 5 said, uh, I'm going to show you a scene from the Victory Parade. Oh, we have technical difficulties. So I guess I'll show you one from 2000 huh. when St. Louis lined the streets for the rent. And he showed the St. Louis Victory Parade in 2000, which was just packed with hundreds and thousands of people. So that was fun. He goes, yeah, you know, technology. And so Mike Bush and, uh, and Ann Red just went along with it because, well, you know, Frank Mike Bush. Hilarious. Mike Bush was the radio voice of the Rams that year. That's right. Well, speaking of before we sign off, speaking of, of the Rams, the Kurt Warner movie American Underdog is going to have its video, its DVD release on Tuesday. Yeah, I saw something online this week from uh, Tony X on Twitter, and he said, "I don't think I'm remembering this right because it seems that the person playing Leonard Little is a white guy." 
I'll so, have to, I'll, when I watch it again, I'll have to look, but I don't think they would do that because Kurt was a consultant. Well, yeah, but I don't think like Leonard Little had any lines. I think it was just a locker room scene. And all of a sudden, a guy wearing a little jersey with Leonard Little's number is some white dude. And I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Well, I enjoyed this movie. So, Jim, do you have anything to mention besides uh, you are in We Are Movie Geeks? And tell us where you can be found on the socials. Well, I, uh, I, I'm just at the uh, the movie geeks i don't have the uh, twitter or any of that fancy schmancy tiktok stuff and all that but uh, i will make a recommendation for any comic book fans that are needing a fix now that uh, peacemaker is over and before moon knight starts there uh, if you have roku on the roku channel one of the quibi uh, docuseries they picked up is called slugfest and it's uh, all about the the battle between marvel and dc but it's really each eight or nine minute episode dramatizes a little incident and the actors playing the real life comics creators are played by actors best known for fantasy and sci-fi films so there's a scene about uh the superman uh spider-man team up from 76 and the fellow that suggested it is uh, is played by ron perlman hellboy and he thinks of it when he visits a, a couple of a friends of his who have had a kid, and the couple is played by Helen Slater and Lou Ferrigno. Wow. So that's kind of fun. So each it's about nine episodes or ten episodes. You can finish it in an hour and a half or so. They got three different actors playing Stan Lee. Stan Lee, the last one, is from Stan Lee's uh, stint uh, recreating the DC characters, and he's played by Lance Henriksen. Oh, Bishop wow. From the Alien movies. Really good casting. So that's a lot of fun if you want to check that out or on the Roku channel. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Carl the intern. You can hear me on the Mark Cox Morning Show Monday through Friday on 97.1 and on KMOX on Sundays for the outdoor show. Oh, I'm on KTRS every Thursday night with Ray Hartman after the 10 p.m. news. Miller Furniture presents Lynn Van House Goes to the Movies, and Miller Furniture is having its half-price sale through President's Day. And that's the best sale there is because it's beautiful furniture lasts forever. Okay, and I am on all the socials. I'm still trying to figure out Instagram. Don't make fun of me there, but uh, just, you know, it's a learning curve. And I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times, and I have my own website, poplifestl.com where you can also find reviews of Alex McPherson. And this weekend, this weekend, I'm going to the theater like I did last weekend because we have six plays going on in St. Louis. Stick Flies is at the Repertory Theater of St. Louis, only it's at Coca. And I'll be there tonight. If you have children and grandchildren, you should take them to Last Stop on Market Street, which is on the Grand, which is on at the Grand Dell, starring the jazz legend Denise Times. And uh, that is by Metro Theater Company. And they've been guests here, Carl, and we love them, what they yes. do. It's all about uh, inclusivity and community and how wonderful grandmas are. And it's awesome. It's just an awesome little show. And then the really great, the best of all the shows I've seen so far, Good People at Stray Dog Theater. It's remarkable. Okay. All right. Have a good weekend. Enjoy. Yes. You too. Stay safe. Keep on keeping on.